Hey everybody, this is Tom. Tom Salemi, welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. It's great to have you today. We're going to visit uh, with a fellow, Dr. Mark Blumenkrantz, who is the Smead Professor of Ophthalmology Emeritus at Stanford. And uh, he is uh, quite the innovator, no doubt. He's known to, to many of you. Uh, he has founded uh, several companies on the biotech side, on the, on the med tech side, even the digital health side. Uh, he was involved in, uh, he's a co-founder and director of Peak Surgical. He co-founded Optometica. He uh, co-founded Oculeve and is now running a, uh, a investment group, small group or firm, uh, Lugging to Biosciences, that's making early stage investments. He was doing all of this also uh, while chairing the uh, ophthalmology department at Stanford, but he uh, recently stepped down from that to focus on innovation. So we talked to Mark uh, about the state of innovation. Uh, he is, uh, as he says in this podcast, spent the last year since uh, moving into the emeritus position, sort of uh, taking a long look at innovation. He'll give us uh, his state of innovation and assessment of where we are today. And we'll also... Um, Share some insights on some very cool stuff going on at Stanford today. There's a little bit of biotech in this. As I said, Mark sort of uh, uh, crosses uh, the chasm between the two. But uh, the guy's amazing, and I'm sure you'll find it very entertaining. And before I get into that uh, conversation, though, the MedTech Conference is uh, coming up on June 1st. And uh, registration's going going really well. So uh, you might want to uh, sign up. Sooner rather than later, especially to, to take advantage of our uh, earlier lower fees, our earlier lower registration fees. And, of course, you can use the MedTech Talk code to save yourself $200. So go to medtechconference.com to register, and uh, we'll see you on June 1st in Minneapolis. Now let's get into this conversation with Mark Blumenkrantz. Mark Blumenkrantz, welcome back to the podcast. Nice to see you, Tom. So uh, you've uh, recently transitioned to an emeritus position at, uh, at the uh, School of Ophthalmology. Tell us what you're now uh, doing at Stanford. What are you, uh, what are you no longer doing, and, and what are you still in charge of? Sure. Well, after a brief 18-year stint as chair, <laughs> I felt it was time to, uh, to explore other horizons and also turn the keys over to uh, my successor, Jeff Goldberg, who's a really amazing individual and someone I, I really look forward to seeing take the department to new heights. Uh, for me, um, I spent uh, time on sabbatical and exploring a variety of areas that were of interest to me, uh, primarily centering around uh, innovation, innovation research uh, sort of more generically, and then also uh, projects within ophthalmology to do. Uh, in the context of that, um, I have um, uh, now um, uh, developed a uh, early stage uh, med tech biotech uh, uh, fund called Lagunita Biosciences, and I'm the uh, managing partner of that and uh, and having lots of fun, uh, if you will, systematizing the things that I did on a more ad hoc basis uh, part-time with uh, more of the time that I have available to me to pursue my own interest, in addition to some transitional work that I'm doing for the department over the next couple of years. So I'd say retired doesn't really apply here. It sounds like you're really busy. I would say uh, uh, shape shifting. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's zoom out a bit. I mean, you've had an opportunity to kind of uh, take a look at, at the innovation and maybe even the the stated innovation. It's a topic that comes up a lot. Where are we uh, in this country and in our, our state of innovation? I think there's always a fear that uh, that that spirit is 
is waning. Uh, what's your assessment of the, the state of innovation in, in med tech or, or go as broadly as you want to go? Never been better. I think innovation is, uh, I think innovation, you know, is kind of the buzzword, not just in ophthalmology or even in medicine, but uh, across uh, the whole realm, um, you know, of political, um, ec economic, uh, academic discourse. If you look uh, in Washington, you hear about the Office of Innovation. You know, uh, if you go to uh, university functions, uh, um, uh, uh, trustees meetings and so forth, the, the big buzzword is how do we create uh, innovation? You know, how do we use our university as an engine of innovation? You know, uh, both, and that might be not just uh, developing uh, eye products, but but uh, social innovation, uh, educational innovation, you name it. So I think innovation, you know, I always like to say that innovation is not, a, um, is not an outcome. Um, innovation uh, is a process, you know, and I think it can be systematized. I think it can be characterized. I think it can be taught to an extent. I think everyone has to decide how much they want to be on the execution side versus the innovation side, and it's the rare individual that can both innovate well and also execute well. In other words, use the, the products of innovation, you know, in a, in a practical setting. But I think it has to do, you know, I, uh, when I speak about this uh, in lectures and so forth, I, I try to make a distinction between creativity and innovation. People say, oh, he's really, really creative mm -hmm. uh, or he's really, really innovative. And I think they use the terms uh, interchangeably, and I don't think uh, that they're precisely interchangeable That's terms. What's the difference between someone who's creative and someone who's innovative? So I think creative is just the process of thinking differently, thinking out of the box, um, you know, and and uh, and so I think that's a that's a valuable skill for people who want to innovate. But to me, innovation is the process of developing uh, practical approaches to solving unmet needs that have tractability uh, and are not just creative, but rather implementable. So it, it implies a kind of a pragmatism, a pragmatic creativity as opposed to, oh, let's, we need to colonize space. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's, I guess it's supposed like it's, it's, it's similar as someone who says, I have an idea for a movie and the person who sits down for four hours a day and really writes that screenplay kind of yeah. takes that idea and ma makes it into something. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's kind of the, uh, there's kind of the uh, brute force of of developing new products too, which doesn't involve any creativity at all. Um, but I, I think that that. Uh, but I think it's the practical implementation of creativity to solve pressing needs in a way that is that is uh, essentially uh, commercially viable. That's you know, and that 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 uh, that's practical. That's that's what innovation is, and that's what makes it hard. Uh, is that you just can't be creative. Uh, you have to be practical get out of the box you got to get back in the box you know get out of the box again get in the box you know so it's it's that um it's the marriage you know of creativity and practicality mm -hmm. is is can everybody be an innovator can it be taught it sounds like you're teaching it but can it be taught and taught well taught effectively so everyone innovates yeah i i think i think uh people can be innovative um uh, and people can uh uh, participate in, in, in innovative programs. I think that I think part of innovation is idea generation, and that's kind of where the creativity comes in, especially when you encounter um, technical roadblocks. I think uh, you know it's kind of a 
a pretty practical thing, a pretty well understood thing to do needs identification. You just go into the clinic and you say, what are your pain points? <laughs> you know, or, mm -hmm. or you talk to the surgeon, you know, what are, you, what are your pain, you know, what, what can't you do that you'd like to do? And people will tell you. Um, um, and you can catalog that, you can filter it, you can look at, you know, the usual metrics like total uh, addressable market, um, regulatory pathway, um, you know, margins, uh, so forth, you know, biologic risk. That, that's all easy. Um, and then you, and then finally the technical solution. I think that's where um, the, the technical solution is uh, really where uh, the creativity part comes in um, because typically speaking, these are very, you know, we live in a, you know, very interconnected world where a lot of people are working on the same problems. So um, I think, and most people, you know, work in ways that they're comfortable that they've been taught or that other people are working. So, I mean, for me, what I really enjoy most is working in areas where other people either aren't working or aren't working yet because mm -hmm. maybe they haven't identified the unmet need or something, or maybe it's not, maybe it's a little, it's bare down the surface and you got to scratch uh, a little down to, to figure out that in fact it's uh, it's important but at any rate um, I think that you can teach you can teach all the other stuff I just mentioned you know the risk assessment uh, you know uh, uh, getting really great team members you know getting great investors but I think the technical solutions I think that's hard and I think some people you know who are out there just their brain is wired in that way and you what you want to do is find those people and convince them to work with you you know or if you're one of those people find the other people who might be more disciplined and and less creative to sort of counterbalance that because create you know unbridled creativity is just you know it's it's hopeless too i mean you every <laughs> i work with people that come in every day and say oh i redesigned it and <laughs> look at the new design and it's 100 times better and then and you never get to, you never get design freeze you know you never you never take it through all the other steps. And so yep. I think, you know, getting that balance, as in all things in life, balance is the key, you know, uh, and I think that's, and that's, and that's where a team helps you because it's, you know, you, you can, um, it's easy to find, um, you know, people that can do one thing well. It's very hard to find people that do many things well. That's where probably the most successful entrepreneurs are good is that they, uh, they may there may be they may be a little more shallow in terms of their depth of expertise in any one thing, but they do uh, a lot of things very well, and that's what you need when you only have two one employee or three employees or four employees, and that's that's very early, obviously, in the life cycle of a company or a product. And then mm -hmm. as your company matures, uh, you know you can go out and hire domain experts in every one area, whether it's finance, whether it's marketing, whether it's regulatory, whether it's engineering, you know, whether it's uh, pr product development and so forth. And that's where, you know, you basically mature, mature, if you will, affinity mature companies, you know, so that they um, uh, are stocked um, uh, with people. And, and that's and that takes that's what the conductor, you know, that's the CEO that he's the conductor, you know, bring up the oboes, you know, strings mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. You know, we're going to add, you know, another percussionist and so forth. And and I think that's, you know, the, the magic and the, and the music of it is is that achieving that kind of balance and harmony, you know, within an organization, knowing what you need uh, at what time. Hey, everybody, I want to take a quick break from this conversation with Mark Blumenkrantz to once again remind you to go to medtechconference.com, sign up for the MedTech Conference. We've got a, a great day with Joe Almeida from Baxter. Uh, Mike Mahoney from Boston Scientific will uh, both be serving respectively as our uh, cleanup and leadoff hitters. Sorry, did that a bit in reverse. 
But uh, in between them, we have uh, a, a lot of terrific panels. We're, in, we're adding a, uh, a new presentation from John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. He's going to be giving us the lowdown on the numbers in MedTech. So please, uh, please do join us. Go to MedTechConference.com and sign up for the MedTech Conference. Now back to this chat with Mark Blumenkrantz. So one of the areas, though, I think that has people concerned is, is the financial side of things. We don't have the same stretch of firms on Sand Hill Road looking at ideas. And you're at Stanford, so you probably drive around that area all the time. And you know there are a few firms out there. But where do – well, first of all, let's get your assessment of that. And, and where do firms or efforts like Lagunitas sort of fit into that? Because there are, I think, more smaller efforts going going on, or at least the smaller efforts may be getting more attention because the, the, the larger, more institutionalized efforts um, are, are fading away a bit. Yeah, well, this this gets to the idea of unmet need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not just for medical products. It's for, you know, basically anything uh, that you're looking to do. So I felt, and a lot of people talk about the valley of death, uh, which is Uh, the point between a really brilliant scientist in a lab somewhere who's got a novel molecule or a new uh, device or a laser or optical imaging technique and um, having that, you know, be a fundable idea uh, where you go out and raise an A round of uh, 10 or 15 or 20 million dollars and you hire 10 employees and you get a you get a nice office suite somewhere, you know, in, uh, in South San Francisco or Menlo Park, and, and you build a company. So I thought that it was hard to get from point A, the university lab, to point B, you know, a startup with a, a good uh, quality uh, Series A or maybe Series B financing. And and that was hard for a couple of reasons. The risks are very high for early stage technology. You know, a lot of a lot of those things fail. And they fail for lots of reasons. They fail either because of the, what I would consider to be either biologic or technical risk, or they fail because of execution risk, right? And so I thought, well, if you could sort of um, create a vehicle that addressed that and took de-risked things, uh, you could create alpha, you know, a, 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 a superior returns um, by by being good at de- identification and de-risking. So bridging the valley of death. So I so I with some colleagues started an incubator called Lagunita Biosciences, which raised a fund, a small-ish fund, uh, less than $100 million. Uh, and the idea was is that we would, um, it was composed of a lot of people for the most part coming out of the Stanford ecosystem, uh, either part-time with their, with their permitted consulting time or taking time off uh, through uh, leave of absence. And also some uh, people out of Los Angeles, UCLA. And uh, we, I, we identified areas that we thought were good areas to work in. And then we identified a business model, which was to essentially uh, take out the IP, de- do the essential de-risking steps and the early funding steps such that they would be suitable for investment by traditional larger players, mm-hmm. that is later stage venture funds or even private equity funds. Um, who are increasingly looking to go downstream, um, you know, and get into uh, into the better deals, if you will, earlier. So I tried to draw upon my experience, uh, both as an academic administrator, you know, as an executive, you know, that could sort of manage the operations, you know, of business on a day-to-day basis, with uh, my work as an entrepreneur and my, uh, you know, network of relationships and 
um, collegial relationships and, and awareness of who's doing good science. And our goal was to, to, to work only with the very best scientists, address the most important needs, uh, and to take on the risk um, in doing that, uh, that others might w wish to wait to be de-risked more before investing in. And that's, wh and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We form companies. Uh, we, we essentially own and operate them with, in conjunction with the, um, the founders. The founders are oftentimes academics themselves or other people who have had serial entrepreneur experience and, but are looking for the, like some combination of capital and, and management expertise. Now, in theory, that's what all investors do, but, but, you know, I would say that we go a step further in that we literally, you know, work in the same room with wet labs and, you know, engineering instrumentation, and we essentially subserve all those roles, HR, legal, uh, you know, financial, engineering. We have a network of relationships with uh, people. We do a lot of things virtually uh, rather than hiring people full-time, especially mm -hmm if you don't know whether the idea is going to play out. And then we, you know, so we try to be very, very capital efficient. And in doing that, we think that by, um, by funding seed rounds, we call it, we actually divide it up into three categories, pre-seed, pre uh, seed, and um, series A's. And we'll fund all three. Um, and we typically look to make investments that probably would not exceed around four to $5 million in total with the expectation that it will take additional capital, um, typically a series B or later, uh, with good quality investors later on. And then, uh, and you know, we, we aim to pick interesting areas and if we're gonna fail, we wanna fail fast. And we'll know that because we're actually operating and we, we'd like to think we take the execution risk out of the uh, technical, you know, and leave it mostly to technical risk, if you will, biologic or engineering risk. So final question, what are some of the, uh, the, the, I guess your more recent ventures or your more, more recent investments, your kind of star pupils, and what are some of the areas of, uh, opportunity, what areas of opportunity do you see uh, within ophthalmology? Sure. Well, we actually, the fund actually works, um, uh, you know, it works in ophthalmology. It actually works a little bit more broadly. As you know, I've done some of my, the companies I've done have been out, you know, in, in surgery and other areas as well. Um, I would say that we work in five areas. We work in ophthalmology as a broad discipline. We work um, in imaging and lasers, which typically involves ophthalmology because it's there's such a big part of ophthalmology. Uh, we work in protein therapeutics. A lot of the great molecules, obviously, are engineered proteins. Uh, we work in surgical devices as a more generic uh, discipline, which might include ophthalmology, but other, other microsurgical tools. And then finally, we work in... Um, digital health, which I really like a lot because I think it's um, the way that we can bend the cost curve uh, and bring, you know, I call it democratizing uh, care, you know, taking out some of the financial hurdles and some of the manpower problems or person power problems. So those are the five areas. Within ophthalmology, Tom, uh, we're working on a, a new a class of anti-angiogenic uh, bispecific anti-angiogenic uh, peptides that we think could be quite interesting uh, using protein engineering techniques um, with my collaborator uh, Jennifer Cochran from Stanford and, and from Lagunita. Um, we're working um, on um, a new a way to apply topical uh, drugs to the eye that we think involves a, a very novel and uh, patient-friendly um, um, 
technique that uh, you'll hear, you'll be hearing more about probably later this year, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, and we're also working on uh, ways to ways to do science uh, to create other companies. I mean, part of it's the idea that you, you know, the analogy of giving a man a fish or teaching him how to fish, you know, and so so one of our companies is a high throughput uh, a platform that screens uh, peptides, as you know, the, the process of directed evolution is increasingly popular as a way to identify um, libraries to screen uh, and to look for new targets and as well as new uh, lead molecules. And so we have, we think, a radically uh, transformative technology that allows us to do that, you know, orders of magnitude more efficiently than the current technique. So that allows us to both partner with industry, which we're doing now already, uh, to, to screen molecules and also to develop our own molecules based on the same technology. And we're finally working uh, in, in the area of, uh, of digital health and immuno-oncology. Immuno-oncology has applications certainly within ophthalmology, but it is kind of the hot topic right now, certainly in oncology. And so we, we think we have some really interesting leads that we're working on, and we hope to, uh, to take those forward to the point where they're appropriate for um, partnership or, or, or further funding or commercialization. So we've seen a great deal of, of uh, innovation coming through ophthalmology, developing into products in ophthalmology the last four or five years. Next four or five years, you anticipate the the streak will continue or or, or grow? Oh yeah, I think I think there are you know an order of magnitude more people working um, to commercialize now. You know we're seeing a lot of. I would say kind of uh, restructuring and retrenchment in our industry. Obviously, changes at Alcon and Novartis, uh, changes in in Allergan, you know, um, situation. You know, at, at a lot of the large players, um, you know, Roche, uh, 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 Genentech. I mean, everybody is is kind of sorting out uh, what the next decade or so is going to look like in terms of who are the players, what are they working in, possibly new large entrants. But I, I think. I think the field's going to continue to be dominated um, by the smaller companies that that come out um, that essentially have to pass the test of time with regard to great lead molecules, great lead devices, and then uh, partnering uh, with the large established players. I'm, I'm sure there'll be other large companies that will be formed, but I think you know it's a relatively mature ecosystem, and I think I think you know it's a little bit of musical chairs. Uh, going on right now as to who who's left uh, you know sitting when the when the music stops because you know we're we're at the I don't know where we are in this cycle we're at the certainly we're well along you know a tremendous uh, cycle you know for especially for biotech I worry a little Tom about the med tech uh, industry only in the in, in the sense that I think um, there's an unnecessarily pessimistic view uh, of investment, it's probably at it's a it's at a historic low still. I think it's started to come up a little bit, uh, but I think that there's a lot to be done on the device side, and I'm using the device side um, um, a little bit uh, broadly to include um, digital health. I mean, I, I don't you know one can argue about whether digital digital ophthalmology digital health is is a branch of HIT. You know, or whether it's a branch of the device world, I, I think of the, I think of it as basically the world of, of connected devices uh, that basically um, uh, will bring, um, will truly bring uh, healthcare to patients, and and will essentially uh, take the practice of medicine out of hospitals into clinics and out of clinics into the home or the workplace. 
And so I think that's an area that needs more investment. Um, it certainly is in other parts of medicine. I'd like to see that happen in ophthalmology. And then I'd like to see just in general, you know, more work done on devices. We're looking, we're doing some interesting work at Stanford. Daniel Palanker is doing interesting work that's looking at drug-like effects that can be achieved by uh, spatially, temporally, and energetically modulating lasers to a much greater extent than we ever did before. And it's possible that, you know, the body has a lot of untapped resources. We know for a fact, you know, for instance, that, that other lower order species actually can regenerate um, limbs, even eyes. And yet, you know, we haven't really tapped into that. Um, and I think uh, part of that may be just sending that message. Uh, and that's where instead of having to sort of create the whole cocktail, it may be that just um, unlocking some of the untapped potential uh, that we have within our genome um, through any number of options, whether it's through, um, you know, uh, direct manipulation of the genetic code or turning it on or off, or possibly uh, physical chemical signals that, that enable that. I think that's an area that I find really exciting. Some of that, you know, obviously is, is taking place within the you know, stem cell biology and that part of regenerative medicine. But I believe that there's a whole part of regenerative medicine that can uh, tap into uh, things that we're already capable of doing and just sort of understanding the signaling pathways, turning them on, turning them off, and making sure that we don't, you know, induce oncogenic problems in the course of doing that. And I think that's where um, devices uh, can play a role as well as drugs. So I see that as kind of the way things are likely to play out. I can't predict who the winners and losers are, but I can predict with some degree of um, comfort uh, and conviction um, that, you know, the field's going to continue to uh, expand at an exponential rate. And I hope to continue to play a part of it, but probably more and more as a mentor uh, and less and less as a uh, quarterbacking it, uh, but uh, being, being on the sidelines, but hopefully as a, uh, as a participant in whether <laughs> in the coaching or in, in management or ownership or whatever. I'm sure there's a lot of people who'd like to have you on their sidelines. So, and I, and I know you've got to get back to work. Thank you for taking a few minutes with us uh, on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's always a pleasure. I, re I listen to your podcast all the time. I think you're providing a really, a really great uh, forum for uh, people to express their ideas and sort of get the word out. Great. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. Keep listening. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. And that is a wrap. Mark Blumenkrantz, thanks again for uh, sitting down with us. It's always great to talk to you. And uh, thank you, MedTech Talk podcast listeners, for joining us as well. If you could give us a ranking on iTunes, uh, it would be an enormous help. I'd love to spread the word about this conference. If you're not going to do that, then make sure you just tell your friends that you've uh, you've now been become addicted to this terrific podcast about medtech, and uh, tell them to go to medtechconference.com to find the podcast and, of course, to register for the medtech conference, which is happening on June 1st in Minneapolis. If you have any comments about the podcast or the agenda uh, for the medtech conference, do shoot me an email: tom at healthogy.com. It's the word health followed by the letters egy.com. Healthogy is the producer of the MedTech Talk podcast and the MedTech Conference and many, many more great things. So shoot me an email. I'll definitely get back to you. We'd love to hear from you, uh, suggestions about the podcast or the conference, or uh, feel free just to say hello. So that's it. Again, go to medtechconference.com, register for the June 1st MedTech Conference, and we will see you in Minneapolis. <laughs>